You know it's time to do it major. Here's to the hustlers, the movers and shakers. Get up on your grind. Don't let the haters get ya. I know that you got a vision. Now it's time to deliver. Yeah, yeah. Giving you the tools, helping you to grow. Level up, time to shine like you never did before. Let them know. More than a podcast, it's a mindset. You can do anything, you just gotta keep grinding. Let's go. The Entrepreneur Adventure. Hey, the Entrepreneur Adventure. You ready? And started uh, a business in a class for $10. It was a for like cleaning rain gutters. And that was a class project. You had $10, you weren't allowed to spend more. So if someone had a wealthy family, they couldn't come in and like own some crazy business. Like you had to start a small business for 10 bucks. And so I started cleaning rain gutters. And within two years, I turned that into like we had seven figures in revenue. Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast, where we give you the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before. You know, every entrepreneur goes down their own path, but one thing we all have in common is the hustle. Please welcome our guest for today, Mr. Michael Brown, founder and CEO of Swept, a management software specifically for cleaning companies. Michael will be talking to us today about his entrepreneur adventure from everything from a seven-figure gutter company to a cleaning company to a cleaning software company, along with all the lessons and wisdom he picked up along the way. And with that, I will turn it over to our hosts, Josh Melton and Chad Brown. Welcome entrepreneurs to a special edition today to the Entrepreneur Adventure. I'm excited. We got a guest today that we've been working with for years, Josh. Uh, somebody that's helped us scale and grow our company, and we're excited to learn more. Michael Brown, CEO, founder of Swept. Welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. I love it. And as you can tell by his accent, I don't think we're related. I don't. I don't think <laughs> as Browns we came through Canada, or you probably split off from South Georgia. I assume we're just. Uh, Happened to have the uncommonly last name of Brown. Michael is not from Hazelhurst, Georgia. That's what we know. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, we're excited to have you, man. We do got to let our audience know, because you know, some people will see this via video, but mostly on audio, is that you're coming to us live on the podcast today from Asana. <laughs> Absolutely. It's freezing up here in Canada. What do you guys expect? <laughs> so, guys, you you got to know, like the person you're talking to today Successful enough to do a podcast interview from the sauna. It's amazing. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know what you're thinking here. I, you, you guys are visualizing like this, like bare bone sauna. No, we're talking about like light wood sauna, like LED lighting. Like there's some like all sorts of stuff going on. That that may be the nicest was, sauna I've ever uh, interviewed somebody I, in. Personally, I have sauna envy right now. You know what I'm saying? I agree. Imported from Finland. This is proper. Okay, this is you know. And, and, and for a little context for everybody, my house is under construction and my 11 month old is teething. So this is literally the quietest place. And, uh, you know, I might start doing, you know, more videos in here. My, I was going to ask him how things were going with swept. But then he showed up to do the podcast interview in the sauna. I immediately knew things were going great. Going well. Oh man. I love it. Welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you, man. Excited to learn more and uh, just start us out a little bit about how you got started in the cleaning industry and how did you start your entrepreneurial adventure and journey on your side? Uh, how did all this begin for you? Yeah. So the adventure, um, well, I started my first business when I was eight. 
Um, oh, wow. So I don't know if you want to go back that far, but roll with it, man. Take it back. Yeah. Let's go old school. Yeah. When did the adventure start? Eight years. Did old. it start with like a, a, a vision vision board of a sauna or not? <laughs> they asked me, "What do you want?" To, I said, "I want to be in a sauna. I want to be on a podcast." I was eight. I didn't even know what pod, they weren't even around at that point. I knew. I could sense it. <laughs> it was such a um, prophetic vision. <laughs> so when so my story, um, I grew up in poverty. And I think, um, you know, I own that, I understand it. And I, you know, in some ways I, I quite appreciate it because it made me who I am. If I wanted school clothes, you know, I had to get a summer job. I had to, you know, mow lawns, you know, fortunately in Canada, we get lots of snow, shovel driveways. What a great source of income for a, for a kid. Um, piling wood, all that kind of stuff. And so there was this program, it was called I Want to Be a Millionaire uh, Program. A millionaire, I, I need 50 bucks. You know, I, I, anything would be great. A millionaire, that seemed like in, in, insane. And, you know, and I'm a kid, I'm eight. So the whole program was they give you $100. If you started a business, you had to pitch, go through like a pitch competition. They had like someone from the local bank, uh, you know, and it was government funded. It was a great program. And so if you had a partner, you'd get an extra 50 bucks. So I looked, this guy named David sitting beside me and I was like, you want your partners? He's like, okay. And uh, that was basically the main contribution that he made for the entire company. I won't lie. Um, but we, it was <laughs> MD's canteen, Mike and David's canteen. And we sold pop and chips and stuff like that at the baseball games and, and stuff. We had actually had to do like income statement, balance sheet. We had to run through inventory and actually run the numbers. And uh, I made a few hundred bucks, you know, after we paid everything back after this a couple is amazing. months. amazing. And I was like, oh, this is, so that's really where I started. That was the last time, like, I guess when I was seven was the last summer I, I, I didn't work. So people always talk about the summers, they're going to camps, they're doing this. We didn't have money to send me a camp. I had to go make money. And so I owned a bunch of different businesses when I was growing up. Um, you name it, I did it. Um, from so every summer you went to business camp. Oh yeah, exactly. Right? And you had to and, be profitable uh, because you had to figure out to buy what you wanted. When I was when I was fifteen, I didn't even have my license yet. I learned how to make balloon animals, and I would have someone drive me to the city when there's these festivals. You need to have a permit. Well, I didn't have a permit. I was a kid, so I just like go to the spot where it was still busy, but you weren't quite in the in the event. Um, and what <laughs> would I charge to make a balloon animal? Whatever it costs to put a smile on your child's face. It was unbelievable. I was making $25 an hour cash and I pay him 10 bucks an hour cash to drive people in. I mean, it's always, <laughs> always been like this. You had a young age, had expenses uh, eliminated from not having to have permits. Uh, you had lead magnets with jugglers going on. Like this is like the greatest entrepreneur story ever. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, you know, kind of how I got into it. Um, now, interestingly enough, when I, I was in high school and what they said to me was that running a business was too risky. And so I said, okay, what do I do? They said, get a trade. So everyone told me to get a trade. So I became a mechanic and I worked with uh, BMW and um, as an automotive mechanic. And I was set, you know, one of the missions in Canada and uh, I ended up in a car accident and couldn't work. And so when that happened, you know, I, so I had this period where I was an entrepreneur from eight until about 18. And from 18 to like 28, I was, you know, I was a mechanic, 
had a car accident, couldn't work, university. And then I started building companies. Um, when I was in university, I built and sold a couple different companies. One of them that I built was a cleaning company. So I had this hiatus from uh, my entrepreneurship adventure based on taking advice that I probably shouldn't have taken. <laughs> the whole time you were doing that, were you dying to get back in the entrepreneur in the business owner space? Or did you just kind of go with the flow at the time? Uh, when I was a mechanic? Yeah. So, yeah, when I was a mechanic, um, I was probably, I don't think I was a good employee because I had that ownership mindset. It, it, you know, I remember I wrote a memo to everyone in the dealership and the owner came down and said, did you send out a memo? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did. Because, you know, some of these things, like, I don't remember, it was about parking or something going on that it just was not working and no one was listening. I was like, good, I'll, I'll write a memo to the entire company. I'm an apprentice mechanic at a BMW dealership. And he just shook his head. And he's like, don't, don't write a memo to the staff. Like, don't, that's not appropriate. It's like, okay, whatever. And, you know, I ended up as an apprentice, like negotiating my salary because I was there for five years. And, I ended up getting paid as much as a fully licensed technician when I was still an apprentice. One of the other apprentices, unfortunately, just you know didn't negotiate or whatever. And like I kept growing and growing and growing. And then I became fully licensed. So I had to get more. When that happened, they had to give everyone in the shop more money because if they didn't give me my raise, I was leaving. And as soon as I got mine, they're like, well, I've, why? You know, I've been doing this for 30 years. And so I eventually left because I was in a car accident. I couldn't work anymore. And one of my buddies who, who worked in the bay beside me, He's like, man, I, I really miss you being here. And I was like, oh, I know. I miss you guys too. And he's like, yeah, no, but like we haven't had a raise in like three years. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think that that ownership mindset and like negotiating and everything just it has always kind of stuck with me. And uh, even when I work for other people. That's awesome, man. You became like the union boss. He was like the economic <laughs> development driver for the union there, man. Exactly. <laughs> Oh man. So awesome. you're in that job. You've been an entrepreneur. You're in that job. So you're not real, not being a full-time entrepreneur in that time period. You're in a car wreck, kind of yeah. pushes you back out. And so you take us from there. Yeah. After leaving your job as a mechanic, getting back into being, you know, full-time self-employed, full-time entrepreneur, what did yeah. that look like for you? So it's interesting. So I, I went to university because um, I thought you, when you lose your career, you lose your job because of an accident, you're like, what's going to happen to me? And I'm thinking back, I remember my childhood, food insecurity, like it was not great. And I'm not doing that again. So I'm going to apply to university. And so my, my marks in high school were so bad, they didn't even want to let me in university, even as a mature student. They're like, no, you're not going to make it like no offense. But you know, it's not, you know, not everyone's cut out for university. And I said, I have to come in. So I negotiated my way into a two year program. I ended up with an A plus in my first in, in all my courses for the first nine months or for the first uh, nine courses, sorry. And I was working like as a shuttle driver during the day and taking night classes and just like hustling. Couldn't get a student loan because they said I made too much money as a mechanic. We're like, I bought $15,000 with tools. Like I am broke. So now I'm in this situation where I have no money. I can't get any loans. I can't get into school. And I can't work because uh, you know the physical pain. Um, I couldn't have a physical job. So I was like shuttle driving, which was, you know, not paying nearly as much. Um, but after that first year, um, things started to come together. And so like, 
I had proven myself. So the teachers started having me like the professors, like I would run classes and they would basically, every time you were a teacher's assistant, you'd run a class every week and you'd get one of your courses paid for. So my second year, I'm teaching the students, which is kind of crazy. They didn't want to let me in. And now they're putting me in front of students because I did so well. Um, I started tutoring people and I was like, look, if you want me to tutor you, you're going to have to pay for 10 sessions up front because I want to see that you're serious. I actually needed grocery money. I needed, so I'm like pre-selling tutoring sessions. Like it was just, the hustle was insane. Buying and selling textbooks. Um, I was, you know, it was just like nonstop. And that's when I realized like, oh, like I'm an entrepreneur. I actually forgot. Like, cause my, when I was told that I, you know, business is just, you know, you're just foolish. You're running these different things. Like in high school, like don't like ignore that. That's not real. You need to have a real job. I just thought that was real. And it wasn't until I got into a situation again, I started hustling again. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I ended up studying in France uh, on a full scholarship and seeing like all this stuff that was just the way they market and position and the businesses, everything just felt so different from, from where I lived. I came back and then they said, look, if you apply, you know, there's a good chance you get a full scholarship uh, on another spot. So I went to Hong Kong. I stayed for six months in Hong Kong. and put together an entrepreneurship like society there at the university. It's still going today. Um, and, you know, people from all over the world were going in and studying and, you know, buying scarves from somewhere in China and selling them somewhere else, having online businesses, all this stuff was going on around me, which was just awesome. And I came back and started uh, a business in a class for $10. It was a, for like cleaning rain gutters. And that was a class project. You had $10. You weren't allowed to spend more. So if someone had a wealthy family, they could come in and like own some crazy business. Like you had to start a small business for 10 bucks. And so I started cleaning rain gutters. And within two years, I turned that into like, we had seven figures in revenue acquired and partnered with the, uh, the largest rain east troughing company in my province. Um, Hold so I'm in university. Yeah, yeah. A seven figure business on $10. Yes. With no, no history of experience in that industry. None. I was knocking on doors. I kid you not. I'd knock on a door, interrupt someone's dinner to tell them about their rain gutters and I'd sell them. And I, I like, that's actually where I learned to sell and door to door sales, door to door, keep going. We found a product that we bought. I ended up with exclusive rights for a product. And again, no financing. I'd never taken out any loans. There's no financing, anything. I just had to get the cash. And then there's this product that you put in the rain gutters so that you wouldn't have to clean the leaves. And I knew if I do this, I won't, I won't get to clean this building or this home next year. But I didn't care because I knew this was not my long-term thing. I was like, I'm going to build this business. I had them dropping off pallets of this material at my apartment. I had boxes piled up. You just had little pathways. And my friends would come over and they're like, what are you doing, man? I'm like, like, how are you going to live here? I was like, I'm going to sell all this and I'm not going to have to live here. And that's exactly what happened. It was, it was, uh, it was amazing. I, I, I don't know if I'd want to do that again at this stage um, of my life, but at that point, it's like, that's where I was kind of carving out my path. Michael, it's so funny. So you're telling this story and as I was doing, so again, I've, I've, we've known each other. We've never met in person. We've known each other as a business relationship for years, but I was looking up like, all right, let me, dig into Michael Brown a little bit more, see what you know I could find so I could when we're doing the interview. And so this is from a website called rocketreach.co. And this is the skills it has listed for you, which is pretty cool. So this is the skills. I'm going to read all of them. You tell me if anything stands out. <laughs> Leadership, 
team building, social media, public speaking, gutters, investments, <laughs> team leadership, strategic planning, sales management, entrepreneurship. I mean, he's got 10 skills listed. And uh, <laughs> I was like, gutters. Maybe you got a skill, man. I don't know how marketable that is to you at this right. point. Maybe that's some like Canadian social media platform or something. I don't know what gutters is. Yeah, it's like team building, leadership. Yeah, I, I, I see that in Michael. Gutters is like, ah, I don't know yet. We're going to find out. And now we that's know hilarious. We can, we can add number 11, saunas to that. Right. So let's, Absolutely. Let's update that profile, man. Oh, that's so amazing. So you get into a business you don't know anything about, you figure out. I mean, how to really grow it and scale it and do something pretty impressive with it. That's awesome. Yeah. I Was flew it? to Chicago and talked to uh, one of the eavesdropping companies there. And they were like, who are you? And I was like, I, you know, I, I, cause I was learning to negotiate with manufacturers for and, and distributors for aluminum because we we're buying, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of this eavesdropping, this aluminum that you put up the gutters with. And I wanted like, who's doing it way better than me? Like, cause I have no idea what I'm doing. So I flew down. They made me show my passport. They thought I might be like an undercover, like business competitor in their city. I'm like, can you not tell from my accent? Like, do you want me to say a, or like wear a toque? Like I am from Canada and they opened up their business. They really did. And they shared so much. And you know, that really helped me get to the next level um, here, you know, when I was building that company. So what was, what was motivating you or pushing you at the time? Was it, competition of other people in the class was it just the desire for success or money or material items what what was fueling all of this energy and growth and passion behind what you were doing two things the first was i did not want to go back to poverty i was terrified i'd go to university go work for someone else and they'd be like oh so like i saw you're a mechanic and now you're in business you're in sales and what happened? And it's like, oh, I've got an injury and I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my life. Oh, thanks for coming in. Uh, yeah, we'll talk to you later. We'll follow up. I, I was scared that no one's going to hire me or view that my injury was, you know, like a, a disability, like a liability to them. Um, so that was really what drove me to, you know, study hard, to figure out the business, to learn and, and just to grow. The second, of course, is I really wanted to have a sauna. And so I just needed to make sure those are the two driving this, those two pillars. It's like, I got to make my eight year old vision a reality, man. <laughs> I don't want to be in poverty and I want a sauna. I love it. So it was that fear side initially that was like really pushing and driving that like, I yeah. can't go back. I want to continue to push forward. Which is an interesting thing to dig into because we all have different motivators. So people listening to this, they may they may not resonate with that and think like oh i'm really positive with myself to drive forward that's actually the best way being negative you know brushing your teeth in the morning and you know thinking negative things like you're not going to make it you're going to lose you're going to push harder you know like that's where i was at which is not healthy um and so it took like through my leadership journey it took a lot of time but that was my reality my you know I did not have a great upbringing. I, you know, all these things I was telling myself felt quite true. I felt like an imposter. Like, how is it that you're growing this business? You're doing this, you're, you know, they're putting me on a billboard. They're doing videos of me at the university, all this other stuff. And I'm just like, no, that's not you. You're fake. You're phony. Right. But then you start to realize like that, that little bit can drive you, but after a while, it's actually going to be to your detriment. And then you, so you have to really figure out how to shift your mindset. Um, to be positive and encouraging to get yourself up when you, you know, you've fallen down. 
So, so this, the whole $10 side of growing this business on $10 is mind blowing for us. And I'm sure a lot of our audience, did something big happen that like catapulted this thing? Or is it just consistent showing up every day momentum that allowed you yeah. to build from $10 to seven figure revenue? So there's kind of three stages. The first was we were just cleaning the gutters to the class project. Um, we and just selling, 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 and, you know, making thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars in a short window of a couple months. Sure. Um, and there's no expenses, right? Like you have a ladder. I borrowed a ladder from my dad and um, he always liked to make sure that's acknowledged that it was his ladder um, <laughs> that went into that business. And, uh, and, and so that was the first iteration. The next season that came around, it was like, so we cleaned some gutters in the spring and it was like, well, we need more. Like we're up on that roof. What else can we do? Should be doing roofing. Like, I don't, I can barely swing a hammer. You know what I mean? Like, what am I going to like? So we found a product. I started researching, found a product that would go into gutter. And that's where we first bought it from Costco, sold everything out, totally threw off their skews because everything in Atlanta, Canada, all the Costco's, we bought everything. They come on shelves, we buy it all. The next year we didn't buy it because we found a better product somewhere else. Uh, the US, we had, so their stores were filled with this stuff because we totally, they thought it was like in high demand. Um, so that product was the next step. So the first is you're doing the labor. The next, we had a product to sell with the service. And the third, where I really get it up to that next level was getting in with business with that other, with that larger group and, and becoming CEO and, and, and merging and, and buying that company. And then we had five trucks on the road, 20 some odd people and, you know, just going. And I mean, I'm a student, I'm in my fourth year university, um, which was just kind of peculiar. Um, so what happened from there? What uh, walk us through like the exit strategy of this business, graduation, what changed? Yeah. Yeah. So what I realized in that business was it was not going to scale. So if you look at Swept today, I own a software company. I have clients all over the US, Canada, through Europe, Australia, uh, New Zealand. It's awesome. It's amazing. I, I, I go to sleep. I wake up in the morning. I've got a new customer that I've not met. You know, I don't know my customers' names anymore. Once upon a time, I knew everybody. Um, that, to me, is where I really want. I wanted to create something that was going to scale. The, the construction company, you know, like the East Troughing was... I was going to be on the hustle nonstop. And so did it pay well? Absolutely. We we're spinning out lots of cash. It was great. Um, but I knew that if I didn't leave, I would probably be there forever. It's like I have friends who want to be entrepreneurs. And what do they do? They graduate. They buy a house and a car. It's like, well, you're screwed, my friend. You, you owe a bunch. Like, you can't take risk anymore. And I think as soon as you have that, you, you can't you get kind of stuck, right? So there's ways to get stuck. Either the golden handcuffs of business spending a little of cash or, um, you know, overextending yourself and having to stay with your employer. And there's no right or wrong to be clear. It doesn't matter. I mean, it, it was, I kind of landed in a spot that was better than I ever dreamt of. But on that journey, I was like, well, maybe I can do more. Maybe I can impact my community. Maybe I can, you know, so, and I just kind of, I jumped. So sold it back to the business partner and uh, he was super happy. Like, and we're, we get along great today. We still, you know, text and, and stay in touch. And uh, yeah. That's amazing. And I love how you pointed out how your approach kept the options open. I see that uh, so many times from new grads and 
and our young generation of, of college graduates is, or even in the skill and the trade side, when people start making money, they immediately leverage that into as much debt uh, as they can get out of it. And really it just takes the options off the table. You can't totally risk anymore. It, um, it, it, it does. It makes for a much more challenging process to be an entrepreneur or to do something creative. Yeah. So yeah. the next steps hey. for you, how did you figure out, okay, what, what do I want to get into that I can scale or what did I learn here that I can start or begin a new journey? Yeah. So I was in my final year of university um, and I started another company and built and sold that, but we won't get into that, but getting into the cleaning side, um, like we, saw the, touch. <laughs> we, we saw uh, that Google Ventures had invested um, in a round, it was like $40 million into a company called Homejoy which was, I'm not sure if you guys remember that, but it was home cleaning, kind of like handy. Um, and so residential services. And the whole idea was there's a website, you go on and you book, I've got this many bedrooms, this many bathrooms, and you know, and it matches people who need cleaning with a cleaner. And so it's like, wow. So I've been in the East Traffic gutter cleaning business. My other company was green bin and waste bin cleaning, like this whole, pressure washing system it's like for whatever reason so maybe that's like into cleaning but started looking at this business and thinking why would google ventures put 40 million dollars into a cleaning company like what did they know that i don't what do they see and so i put in uh probably with 10 to fifteen thousand dollars with a business partner and we tested and validated that model built a website i was the first cleaner I'm going in, dropping flyers off in, a, in my own apartment building. People go on online and, and then like, now I just walk downstairs, hey, I'm here to clean. <laughs> um, and so that's how it started. What we found out very quickly was once we had cleaners, there's no reason to keep us as the, as the middleman. So you, you, you pay all the money to acquire the client, all the marketing spend, everything like that. And then the cleaner's in there and someone's house how much do they pay you? Oh, they pay me $15 an hour. Hmm. They charge me 30. How about I pay you 20? We'll cut them out. Right. And so we validated off $15,000, what Google ventures had backed for 40 million. Um, I don't know, but they expanded to 28 cities and they ended up shutting down um, and handy took over and they, you know, got on to add different services and things, but that's how I got in. That's, that's what intrigued me about the cleaning industry. And so, we then got into commercial and that's where um you know that's where everything kind of changed for us because you have that recurring revenue anyone who's listening who has a cleaning company you know the difference of you know between residential and commercial and i think residential like i know a lot of people who started in residential sold off most of it but they still have like this group of accounts they're just awesome they take no time off your hands there's there's no upkeep and you're just making the profit off it but, that's beautiful, but it's not always when you have all residential, how it runs. So we get into commercial and um, I did my first quote and I said, look, when I, when I bid on a place, what I like to do is I like to come in and I like to clean it myself personally. I'll do it for free. I want to assess your space because the last thing I want to do is give you a quote. And then in, in two months, I have to increase it because we can't afford to clean it. And I, that's a great idea. I just had no idea how to clean a building. Like, so then I came in that night cleaned it with my stopwatch. Okay. This bathroom takes this amount of time. And I, I mapped it all out, put a quote together, won it. And, uh, 
instantly, boom, I'm in commercial cleaning. So that's my, uh, that's my journey to get in. All right. So you get into the commercial cleaning space. Did you kind of know immediately then like, all right, I'm not doing the residential stuff for the apartment cleaning anymore. I'm done with that. Like it took a little while. Um, but once we started building it, it, it became really clear. The people who were hiring were very different. So um, in my, my commercial side, I hired people who worked at banks, people who had full-time jobs, but wanted an extra 15 to 20 hours a week. We were the company that allowed them to go to Disneyland with their kids, like at Christmas. We were their extra cash. That was such a great dynamic, and they're so appreciative, more so than the person who was a 40-hour you know, worker in the cleaning industry. And there's not, again, there's no right or wrong. It's just like how I was able to manage and find them. Also, as a small business, if someone needs 40 hours, you better have that 40 hours. Now you're in a game of trying to balance out. Do I have enough contracts? And so when someone wanted 10 to 20 hours and they were flexible, oh, it, like you could just win that contract and fill it, win it and fill it over and over again. It was beautiful. Um, that's, so that's kind of how we, how we landed in it. All right, Michael. So you're not in the commercial cleaning uh, service business any longer. And I get here right now. As of moment. today, no. No. How long, once you guys transition into the commercial space, because you, again, you're a successful business owner before you get here, you know how to build a company, how to scale a company. How long were you guys in this, this space before you realized, Hey, I got something better uh, with a, a different product line or different service than the cleaning business itself. Yeah. So what happened was um, we were running the cleaning business. It was going well. We were continuing to, to grow. Um, hiring on more cleaners, you hit that milestone where I don't have to be the one to go in and clean anymore, which is just, you know, you guys know what that like, it's amazing. Um, but what happened was I received a phone call from a customer who owned, uh, who had a dentist office and I picked up, I was like, hello, how are you doing? And I could hear in her voice, she was like, yeah, uh, thanks, Michael. Just wondering if you had a couple minutes to chat. I was like, oh no. Okay. I was like, yep. And she fired me. And I had no idea what happened. And what, what ended up happening was the cleaner was not showing up on time. They were leaving early and they were missing things. And they knew this because they had the security code when the security, so they were looking at the security codes and saying like, you know, you're charging us for four hours and you're here for two and a half. Um, and it's incredibly important to clean any space, but especially a dentist office, you know? And so I said to them, look, I'm so sorry. I didn't know about this. Um, like, can I please like have a, like a, a do over? Like I will, I will go in there myself. I'll bring up the contract. I'll bring someone else in. Like you have my word. I said, I just didn't know. And she said something to me that really just like changed everything. And she said, it's not my job to tell you what's going on in your company. I was like, yeah, it's pretty hard to argue with that. You know, <laughs> That's like powerful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's true. And so that is where SWEPT was born or the idea of needing something like SWEPT. Um, and so we started out with like Google Calendar. When they had schedule, they arrived on site email and back and forth. And then I had the clients on it. So the clients were messaging the cleaners and started building this. And I was like, oh, we've got something here. Um, because if my cleaners, like, at the end of the day, cleaners know what's going on before everyone else. If they're going to be late, they know. If something breaks, they know. If they can't get into an office, if if there's a meeting and they, you know doors are locked, 
running out of supplies, everything, the cleaner notes. If you could just harness what they see and what they feel and what they do, you could make way better decisions. And so that's when we started to build SWEPT internally. Um, and this is where things started to change because as soon as we had that, we were selling more contracts with it. We were going in and one of my local competitors was like, how you, you took a contract from me and I've been doing this for 30 years. And you're some kid, you don't even know how to clean. Um, and I was some kid. I knew how to clean at this point, to be fair, but you know, I probably wasn't as good as them, but we showed a system. Like everyone hires the same cleaners. It's how you manage them. It's how you lead them. It's how you engage them. Make sure that they show up. And if they don't, that you, can, you can cover. And so our slogan was like, we identify, uh, well, our slogan for our cleaners was we focus on our cleaners so that can focus on you, the client. And usually everyone's like client first, client first, client first. And I would actually go in in the sales pitch and I'm like, I'm not going to focus on you first. My cleaner is, you're the most important person to them, but they're the most important person to me. And I would kind of show them how our system worked and they were just blown away. And when that happened, that's where the bug was like, we've got something. I opened up into another city and then another city with a cleaning company. And in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna franchise this. Like, I'm gonna build a cleaning company. I'm gonna, this is how I scale. Cause I'm no longer, if you remember what I said was I didn't wanna have a company. So when I saw raise all that money and go into 28 cities, I was like, oh, it's still like labor intensive. It's like, I was a mechanic. So it's still in my wheelhouse, but it could scale. And so I started that scaling journey. And by the time I was in my third city, I realized, I think the software is actually the opportunity that I can help other business owners like myself. And uh, yeah, so that, that time period, I don't know how many years it was. It wasn't a lot, you know, a few years um, to go through that whole journey and, and figure it out. And then. So, so, you, so you saw an idea for a business model change. You're like, hey, my most valuable asset here is this software. Did you immediately like, I got to get rid of the commercial cleaning and I got to launch the software side of being able to sell to other cleaning businesses? Or is this like a slow process of building this out while continuing to run the commercial cleaning company? How fast did you move and, and uh, pivot from one to the other? It's a great question. So what I initially thought is I'm going to keep my cleaning company. I'll stay in three cities um, because I want to be like my first user because we built the software for ourselves. We understood how it worked. And, you know, if I want to release a product, I want to test it internally before I go out to my customers. What I found was two things. One is everyone thought it was really cool at first that we were a cleaning company, but then they're like, so I'm going to put my clients and all my information in your software. I'm like, yeah, well, what are you going to do? You could take my clients. I'm like, okay, I'm in Canada and a lot of my clients, like 85% of my clients are in the US. But they, they felt initially like, is there a, an issue here? Um, and as we talked, they realized like it absolutely wasn't. But ultimately that kind, of, that kind of spooked people. Like it excited them, but also kind of spooked them. Right or wrong, that's just, you know, you don't get to pick how people feel or how they, how they view things. Um, so there's that. And then the other thing was, my clients were like, I love the beta tests. When you come up with new features, put me on. So I, I underestimated our industry in that I thought the business owners would not be you know, comfortable with testing out software and, and feeling it out, but they had so much respect and appreciation for what we've created for them that they, they love it. We, we launched a new app this year. And in the summer, we had a whole bunch of customers who were on it. 
um, before it went live for a few months, just like testing it, trying it out. And, you know, people are dependent, you know, their entire business, their payroll, everything's on it. And they're willing to, to jump on and try it out. So with that, it was like, let's sell the cleaning company and just focus exclusively on the software. And so, Michael, how long has it been now since it's been your primary focus has been on swept uh, software as a service? That, that being your business, you're gone from the commercial cleaning service business. You're just doing software as a service. It's probably four and a half, five years, like probably okay. right around the time when you guys started working with us. We probably yeah. had just sold our cleaning company or. Yeah, but in, in that time frame. When I was reading a little bit about uh, your story and doing a little research online, I came across multiple programs, and I don't know what these things are. It's like Propel program. It, it's some sort of uh, export growth program, NSBI. There's like all these multiple accelerator programs you were involved in in different stages or different businesses along the way. Yeah. How much did those help? And is that something you recommend? And where do entrepreneurs find these type of accelerator programs? Give us a little insight there. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of just admitting when you don't know something and asking for help. It's so much easier. Um, and there's a thing called mentor whiplash. And it, like, you own a company and you ask someone, everyone has an opinion. No, don't do this, go this way. You talk to the next person, oh, that's wrong, do this. And so you can't expect a mentor to solve all your problems, but they'll all have oftentimes a very different perspective. And so what I loved about those programs is you go in, you get matched up with people who maybe they ran a, a tech company, especially when I was transitioning over from running you know, a labor-based business to a, a, a software company, because I'm non-technical. It was super helpful to have people push and poke and uh, be honest. Like, There's no like, you guys are doing great, keep it up. It's like, why did you do that? What about this? Have you thought about that? What are people saying about this? And that's the kind of step I think that when you, when you can be vulnerable and step back and say like, they're not attacking me, they're helping me, but they're sharing the feedback that might not feel good. Cause you, you spend, you know, 18 hours a day for weeks upon weeks upon weeks to, to pull something together. And then someone rips it apart in five minutes. It doesn't feel great. But if you actually can step back and like remove the ego, like they're there to help. In fact, if they didn't like the business or you or didn't feel there's potential, they would just tell you it's great, bud, keep going. Um, so I think those programs, if, if you can take a look in your community and find out where there's entrepreneurship groups, you can join them on Facebook, there's masterminds, whether you're in cleaning or another industry, there are people out there who are like one, two years ahead of you. That's a really nice sweet spot. Um, because they're, you're about to make all the same mistakes they just made. And then you go out like 10, 15 years where someone is running a massive company and then that's where you can work on vision. Um, and so that's what I've found. I have lots of people around me at different stages with different backgrounds. And I'm just constantly consuming and then making the decision myself. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And that's uh, something as I've found as an entrepreneur, as I, as I continue to grow, I uncover more and more things I don't know. And I like, want opinions and ideas and other people to share stories and look at things. Uh, and I think that's, that may be a place that separates a high level of success and speed behind some of the, the businesses between being willing to accept that criticism and help versus trying to harness it and be a know-it-all and do it all on your own. So Michael, I got a leadership question for you. And I know this is again, a great subject to talk about with you because at this point, I mean, swept is one of a small handful of companies that 
our leaders in the space with what you guys do. Uh, you're definitely one of the, one of the first companies they talk about. And so when I talk about some leadership or bring up leadership as a topic and let's dive into that for a second. But the first question I got for you in regards to that, is probably more one on the vision and strategy. And as an entrepreneur, it's very easy for all of us to, to see opportunity everywhere, right? With the, the shiny object syndrome and like wanting oftentimes to chase too many things. I see a lot of entrepreneurs stall out because they just got too many irons in the fire. Yep. How did you know the, that swept was the idea? Like, how did you know, like, it was the idea that was big enough for you? You're like, I'm selling this thing I originally started because in the process of going after this, I stumbled across this thing. And it's not just a shiny, shiny object to, to add to it. It's like, no, this is, this is the path forward for the next, the next step. How did you make that decision and know, like, I'm going in, I'm going in and going after this? Yeah, it's interesting because, like, as you highlight, I did sell a, a profitable company. I had another company. Like, I sold, I sold basically all my companies as I was getting into this industry and as I was getting. So talk about being exposed. Like, if this didn't work, I just sold, you know, it's like you, I, I would have been, you know, starting over kind of thing. Um, for me, it was that moment that I realized, like, I was solving my own pain. Like, I, you have you have your business and you're looking at it. And but when things start to click, you know, like, people set goals and you don't reach them. You set goals, you don't reach them. And all of a sudden, you start setting goals and hitting them and then hitting them. And you're like, oh, this is actually working. And, you know, I raise capital, um, you know, from VC and angel investors. Once you do that, you have to be committed. Like, you can't say, hey, can I, can I raise, you know, a few million dollars from you? And by the way, I've got these two other side gigs going on and I, I've got this company. And like, you have to be committed. So for me, that moment when I recognize I'm willing to, to sell off my businesses and invest my time and capital into SWEP and take someone else's, like, I, it's a very serious thing when you take someone's money. I, 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 you know, take it very seriously that I want to get them a return. I want to build something that's meaningful and help people. And uh, yeah, I think it's just, it might've been reviewing all of these little data points and milestones along my life of seeing like, this is the first time everything's really clicking. People need this. This is actually going to help. Um, yeah. So let's talk leadership again. It's going through, You've learned a lot. You've been a part of multiple successful companies. You've sold some. You're in the process now of scaling swept. I mean, I have no idea how many customers you have, but again, like you guys are, you're at the top as far as in doing what you do, uh, software as a service in the cleaning industry, like you know, yard, great brand, great reputation. You're growing. Talk to us about some of the leadership lessons you've learned along the way and how you've grown as a leader from the standpoint of how you've gotten to where you know, every decision wasn't crisis point. Like you've, you've got mentally mm -hmm. tough and you've walked yourself through again, being the guy that was cleaning apartments seven years ago to now being the CEO of one of the, you know, best of in your class of what you do. What are some leadership principles you've learned along the way that our entrepreneurs can take and apply to their businesses? Yeah, it's, um, I was a terrible leader in the beginning and, uh, you know, I just straight up, when I look back, I, if I was to go back and read some of my emails, I'd probably cringe um, because I didn't know what it was, what it looked like to be a leader or be successful. Like I just, you know, I don't know how to clean. I'll figure it out. I don't, I don't know. Well, when you, you can learn how to clean and, you know, take on different tasks and jobs, but working with people is so challenging. 
um, when I realized about myself, so I, I work with a coach and I work with a number of different coaches, which is really what would allow me, because like, even if you try really hard, like I want to do better, you need that feedback. You need someone to say, so do you notice how you just spun up a problem over here? Like, no, because if I did, I wouldn't have done it. And so when I recognize <laughs> I, I would go into a meeting and maybe I'd be frustrated about something or, you know, maybe cash flow was an issue in the early days or something's going on and you walk into a room and you have a meeting and someone, you know, presents something. And let's just say it's not the best presentation, right? The correct thing to do is be like, oh, that's really interesting. You know, how did you gain these insights? You know, I can tell you worked really hard on this. And then, you know, and then give them some feedback and nurture them and say, you know, do you think, you know, I'd really like you to elaborate on this, that, and the other. And could you do that maybe by the end of the day, like flip it in an email? Instead, I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, how did you miss this? Like, I, I was literally, you know, that would be at my worst. And I realized you're watching someone and I'm like, don't get nervous because I'm a CEO of the company. I don't care what my title is, which I don't. But people still, it holds weight. And I'm like, I just want to give you the feedback because I want you to give me the feedback. So I'm so good at getting feedback. And, you know, I won't say I'm good at many things, but I am good at getting feedback because I potentially put myself out there. Well, not everyone does that. So what I view is really positive and I'm so thankful when someone will just like rip me apart and tell me what's going on. You deliver that to someone else and that shreds them, right? How did I not know that? Well, I didn't. And so I've witnessed um, many other people doing the same thing, right? And yeah. <laughs> what's so funny with that, Michael, is that it is funny because all the, the three of us, I know we've all had coaches in our lives that we've you know paid to rip us, rip us apart, right? We're like, I'm yeah. not paying people to come in and criticize me and tell me what I'm not good at. You know, so obviously, yeah. Hey man, I'm going to give you this for free. I got to pay for it. Let me rip you to shreds. It's like, no, 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 not everybody. That, that works that. really well with your spouse. Also, <laughs> you go home and try that. That makes for a real yeah, happy exactly. life. <laughs> like, I'm just and trying think, to help you get better. Like, I understand. <laughs> and I think the difference is, is that with a coach, you're paying your role. Like I'm saying, I want you to connect with me in this way. An employee is like putting their time in, they're coming in, they're excited to make a presentation. And again, I'm giving an exaggerated thing. I, I, I've been in meetings where I've watched people scream and yell and, you know, in different companies I've seen, you know, we've, we've all probably seen that or experienced it. Um, that's at another end of the spectrum. Like I was not there, but I was just, I would go in, even the way you carry yourself, maybe you don't even say anything. You're like, mm, okay, yep. Thanks for sharing that. And you're off to the next thing. They're like, oh, we didn't like that. They start making a narrative in their head. He didn't, maybe it was perfect. But I'm so distracted by something else. I think that's one of the things that I, I really learned is like when I'm with like I'm with you guys right now, we're on, we're doing this podcast. I'm in the sauna. It's lovely. I'm not thinking about finance, my team. I'm not thinking about anything else because I'm here with you. And when you can do that, then you show up as yourself and not carrying things. So I, if something was going on in my company, I was kind of carrying it all around and no one knew because it's not in their pay grade. They don't need to worry about finance or, you know, whatever's going on but they could sense it. And then they make up the story in their head of what it was. So how did you build the tools or the habits or the structure to overcome those early challenges of that leadership role? Yeah. So a lot of it um, is again, just working with a coach and finding out, you know, what that 360 review is. So one of the things that came out 
on my review, which is you guys may resonate with this, is that you know a lot of vision, really excited, motivate the whole team. Okay, everybody, let's go charge! And then I walk out of the room, and everyone's like, "But what do we do?" So like roles and responsibilities. Like I would get people pumped up on all the stuff, and I'm not much of like an ops person or, or a details person. I'm I'm like way up in the clouds, and so I've worked really hard to when I found that out. First, I didn't believe it, of course, because like, no, that's not true. They, they have to know. And it's like, no, actually, this is true. Um, so then I've worked myself down into, you know, making sure there is that clarity, connecting things. So like we have at our company once a month. Um, so on Mondays, we have our company meetings. The first Monday is the overall team, like the company update. The next one is learning. So we'll have someone come in, whether it's a coach, could be a personal trainer. Um, it, it could be you know, you could learn how to paint. It could be anything. It could be business or personal. Um, then we'll have a session where customers come in and they'll speak to our team to talk about life before and after swept and if they had a magic wand, what they would do. Um, just so that they're getting a voice and all my team is, you know, we're just hiring like 10 more people right now who have not been in the cleaning industry. How do I make sure that they stay connected? Um, and so, and then the, the, the fourth Monday, my team, because we're virtual, they have like a virtual coffee. So they have a half hour with someone who's not on their team. And this can be done at any company. It doesn't have to be a software company. But that's how we've built our, our culture and have people connected to our customer, our purpose, all the rest. And it's amazing to watch um, people connect this way. And I think that I just didn't give enough time for people in my first few years. Also transitioning from trades to you know running the software company. like. I'm a mechanic. You know what I mean? Like, like I just didn't, I, I've never worked in an environment, which is really tough. I've never worked around great leaders. Um, so. Nor people that you really had to share a whole lot of feelings or care time or those things with. You're, you're not in the mechanic bay, like hauling across the, the car, like asking Johnny about his personal life and all his struggles and things going on. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's just a different dynamic. So it was quite a steep learning curve for me. And I'm still on it. I'm still very much on that. Yeah, I, that I struggle. I struggle there. I, I struggle with the the time side of allocating enough time to do that and the understanding side of I like criticism or I like efficiency. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Here's what to change. Go change it. Yeah. Let's move on. It was awesome. It was amazing. This is great that never comes out it's just in my head yes i see those things i experience those things but it's like change these three three things it'll be perfect boom i'm on to something yeah. else and i think that's that's something you've helped me identify that uh i am still even today making those mistakes like i i a specific instance is is, is has came to mind of this week and today where i can see i can handle some things in a different way there that's awesome so it's interesting too michael as you talk i can your first part is you're shared i'm like i'm hearing some of the challenges that you had as a leader and i'm like oh that's something that chad had as a leader as well and he like rolls right into me next you know because i'm the same as far as in um being able to get people energetic or excited about something and be like, let's go and like they're like yeah and then i walk out and they're like what first you know and I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, so I can see where we're going. I don't know how to get there. Um, Chad would be more likely to say, like, I can tell you every step 
of the journey. Here's all of it today. And they're like, oh, my yeah. God. So both of us have struggled with that same thing. But as we're talking to, again, like you, entrepreneurs that are trying to level up the leadership game, uh, coaching is one thing they can do. They can find a, a mentor or a coach that they give yeah. permission to, right? Like, I'm, hey, you can – you can tell Bring me what it. you think. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm, I want to get better. So you have my permission to hold me totally. accountable, accountable and tell me what you think. Uh, coaching is one step to advancing in the leadership journey. Tell us some other things that Michael Brown did to, again, get to where now you're, you're you went from mechanic to now having a virtual team. And I'm assuming it's spread out in different countries and stuff well as well, right? My team is in three countries. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know I've been yeah. on some of your calls before. And there's this like, there's, People, I mean, everybody looks different. It's such a diverse uh, environment. Very diverse team. And the names yeah. are different. And it was, it's really, it was really cool being a part of one of your calls and seeing like, whoa, this is like, this is awesome. What you have, what you have going. So coaching is definitely a principle we can, we can implement, but tell us some other things that you've done to level up your leadership game. For sure. And one thing I want to mention before we, we shift gears is if you're going to go look for a coach, I highly recommend that you First, ask other people uh, if they have a coach, get referrals, go online, search for people. Um, and coaches, a good coach will do a free, uh, like a complimentary call. So I made a list of seven coaches. I spoke with all of them. The first one was like, amazing. I'm like, oh, this is really good. I'm probably going to hire them. Okay, well, I'll go to the next one because I was following a process. Somebody told me like, speak to a bunch of people. And I talked to the second one. I was like, Oh my goodness. I'm glad I didn't go with the first one. They were great, but this person's even better. And then I went through and through seven people, I think it's probably maybe the third or fourth person I ended up speaking with ended up resonating really, really well. And it's not that, um, like you won't, some people have a coach for a very long time, but you might have a coach at this stage of your business. And then you bring someone else in, they have a different playbook, a different mindset, a different approach. Like my current coach works with me on who I'm being, not what I'm doing. So not how I run a meeting, but how I show up in that meeting, right? Which is actually the work I need, as I described earlier. And so it's, you know, I've, I've been working with him for a year. I'll work with him for another year. But it's possible in the future, I'm going to work with somebody else uh, um, who is one of those seven or someone new. So I, you will get value when looking for a coach if you talk to multiple, I'd say five to seven. Because you're also having a coaching call with them and learning. So bring a different challenge to each one of those calls. You essentially have free coaching while you're figuring out who the right coach is for you. That's, that's awesome advice. That's really, really good advice. And and that throws uh, really a curveball in a lot of my approach to things. Because, again, I'm all about that efficiency. Let's, let's find somebody, good decision, pull the trigger, let's roll. And taking the time to – to interview in, in all stages of things we do. I think that's really great of us. I'll tell you, I want to come back to, I love the meeting format you have. The, the first meeting every month is an update. The second meeting is a learning experience that doesn't just have to be about your industry or your business. It can be some personal things, it can be some creative things. The third bit, the third meeting is around a customer coming to speak. That's huge. And then the, the virtual coffee, man, I, that's just so exciting to me as a, as a business owner and as a team member is it'll be so much more fun to have those type of meetings and the show up same weekly meeting every week talking yes. about the same things in my industry. Like that's currently what we do and it works and it's, is building some connection, but this would be so much better. Like that is this, that's a, a huge takeaway for me and something that 
I really want to tap into and look at changing how we meet as a company. On a, we meet every Tuesday morning and want to shift some things. We can make this way more fun and way more encouraging and exciting and and uh, build just a way better culture faster around doing some of these creative things. Michael, I love that you said that about interviewing multiple coaches. That's 100% what Chad and I do by this fake podcast we're running. We're like, it's a podcast. But really it's, it's just free coaching. It's free coaching. We appreciate, we appreciate this, Michael. Yeah, I think you're like, you're, you're coach number 70, I believe, that we're interviewing. We're going to go get so good and so big someday, people are going to pay us to coach us on this podcast. Yeah, That's okay. the goal. Uh, good, good business plan. So coaching is a big thing. What else can entrepreneurs do to level up their leadership game? I think it's um, shifting that mindset from hustle and just that busy work to actually doing things that are going to really move the needle. Um, I know it happens in the software industry and it happens, but it happens everywhere about hustle, how many hours you work and all the rest. I believe that in the beginning, you do have to work an insane amount of hours. You have to work an inappropriate amount of hours. Your body's not going to like it. If you're married, you know, your partner, they're not going to like it. Um, you can slowly creep up, but I, all the businesses I've started, it's been this insane, you know, full court press. But then after a while, you have to look at what you're doing. So can you work 18 hours doing strategy? No, but can you work, you know, four hours doing strategy and then a bunch of hours doing billing? Like you can do a bunch of administrative tasks and that's how you get those long days and get yourself moving forward. But once you bring in an assistant or a bookkeeper or you start billing it out, you can't run those massively long days um, because you're going to burn out and you're going to make poor decisions. And I, I see this all the time. Like you talk about the, the entrepreneurs that take on a whole bunch of different businesses. They get spread too thin um, and they, they, they plateau. It's the same thing in your own business where you have to block time. If you want to grow, then block time to think about growth. Two, three hours a week, turn your email, like turn your phone off, close your browsers, don't answer emails, don't answer phone calls, and just spend time. I remember the first time I did this, um, I probably wasn't five minutes in. I was like, uh, let me just, nope, no one texted me. Okay, that's, that's fine. Like, I didn't even know what to do with my time. I realized you ask an entrepreneur who's busy to sit there for 15 minutes and do nothing. Um, and that's not what I'm asking. But if you did, they'd go insane. Like they're, they're so used to like, that's how they operate. just nonstop movement. When you have the discipline to reflect and think, it's why people say like, oh, my best ideas come in the shower. Cause you know, I'm showering. I'm like, oh yeah, that's how I'm going to close this deal. That's how I'm going to finish this. It's like, yeah, cause you actually stop for a second. And so when people can stop during the middle of the day, that to me is, is the next game changer of how you get to get moving. And, um, I had someone tell me one time, because I was like, I have time for that. Because everyone who's listening to this, if you don't already do it and you're really busy and hustling, you're going to say, well, he just doesn't get it. Uh, it's not going to work for me because my business will fall apart. It needs me. It's this, that. And someone said, well, what if you got hit by a bus or you know, got really sick and you, like, you were in the hospital? Like you were out cold. Like there's no working from the hospital. Like you were actually out cold in a coma for like four days. Is your business going to go under? It's like, well, no, I mean, there'll be some things, but, you know, someone fill in here, you know, wouldn't be run as efficiently. It's like, of course, but then you can easily take two to three hours and you can do that twice a week. And that blocking time in my calendar is really what kind of elevated me to step back, 
see the issues in the business and, and create time instead of just reacting to everything. Like most times we react to the problem. Like a cleaner doesn't show up. Oh, okay, cleaner doesn't show up, I'll fill in. I'm gonna go clean, I'll get someone else to clean. And it's like, oh, it's just the way the world works. Well, I've got lots of customers that cleaners no-show is like not an issue for them anymore. If someone doesn't show up, they've got a process, they've got everything through and they're not running wild every night trying to you know cover over shifts and not sleep at night. So in regards to the hustle, you said this thing and I love Michael because I talked to, I mean, we all end up talking to lots of entrepreneurs that are, you know, where we're maybe we're 10 years ahead or maybe we're one or two years ahead, but every now and then I'll catch somebody that I'm 10 years ahead of and they want to be in that zone. They want to be in the 10 years from now zone already. And they're asking questions or talking about like, as if they can avoid the initial hustle. And so I love that you talked about like, look, when you start, I mean, you, you got to hustle, you got to do the hustle and grind for a bit, but it does become a badge of honor for some that doesn't like, if you're still hustling, hustling and grinding like 15 years into the thing, it's not because you're awesome. It's because you're doing something wrong. Like, you've you gotta, done something wrong. Yeah. yeah you should totally. be able to develop some systems where you don't have to anymore. Like, I don't understand it. So it, that mixture of both, you know, so there's a time for each. Cause again, if you don't ever want to hustle, like you probably need to get a job. And then if you yeah. always want to hustle forever, I'm like, I just like, you're going to die fast. You know, I don't know. What totally. And I think you can see it like in the cleaning industry, um, the average, you know, business, you know, there's a million companies in, in the U S and 95% have 10 or less cleaners. And you can see where people plateau. Like someone will have like, they've got 10 contracts and then someone else can get to 20, someone else can get to 30, like, but people plateau somewhere. And when you do, it's, there's a, there's a reason, right? It's like, maybe you're not hustling anymore, but maybe you have a new issue. Maybe it's around sales or it's around retention. There's a reason why you can't get beyond that point. I think you have to take a really hard look because the other side of it is like, what do you want? Do you want to run a a business that's really profitable spending out cash? Maybe so. Do you want to build something that has really great growth and then sell it, you know, to another company? Do you want to have a system? So they're not just buying contracts, but they're actually buying a system and that business, but you have to have that intention. And when people don't have that intention because they're hustling nonstop, they never get to that end point. All of a sudden it's like, well, I'm going to hand my business down to someone or they get sick and they end up, their business just, you know, it's not worth anything without them because like they are the linchpin and that's a dangerous spot to be as a business owner. Yeah. I love uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because I think a lot of people get hung up as they got employees and so they have some systems in their business, but they still ultimately are self-employed because they are the magic and they haven't been able to make the system yeah. magic yet. So like you said, so if something happens to them, like their business system still runs because they're not like the, the Hey, I'm, I'm putting the cornerstone, holding everything together. So, no, your business yeah. hopefully gets to a point where you could step away from it. Cause out, if, other than that, you're I mean, at some point you're leaving the business. You're either going to, if you're going out of business, so it's all gone, you're dying or you're, selling it somebody and yep. if you're like if you got to be there all the time it's not going to work right yeah like my role today it's interesting as a business owner your role changes like every six months in the beginning in the cleaning industry you're cleaning everything and then you're you're cleaning sometimes but focusing on sales and hiring and then you might bring in someone for sales if you don't like sales or bring in someone for hr like or ops depending on like you just pick the path you want but you fill in those gaps and i'm at the point now where I'm here for vision and approving strategy. You know, like people are bringing this, my, my executives are bringing the strategy to me. 
I'm fine tuning it because I do have the industry experience. I know the customers, all the rest. Um, but ask me to do like a support question or like, it's like, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't know. Um, that's like, and I shouldn't, you know what I mean? I should make sure that they have a good strategy and, and things are going well. But getting into the nitty gritty, like my team doesn't want me there. And if my customers, you know, we have tens of thousands of users, if they're waiting on me, there's a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, you have to be comfortable to let things go. Chad, I think this is like a really nice way of Michael telling me to stop sending him personal emails with my ideas, <laughs> <laughs> my feedback. He told me earlier he liked feedback. Now he's, I don't know. And I'm, hey man, I got this error signals. message. Uh, can you text me? <laughs> I texted this guy, emailed this guy the other day. He's like in Las Vegas and he emails me back five minutes later. He's still, he's business can't run without him. All right, Michael. So coaching, Hustling in the right areas. So, because again, you do run out of steam, but if you could say, all right, I got some energy, I'm going to apply it here. You mentioned for you, it's vision and approving strategy. Like that's where you put your time and energy and resources to, to help yeah. step become so awesome. Give us one more tip for our emerging entrepreneur leaders, something they can do, implement, or work on that will help them up their leadership game. Mm. Can I do a book recommendation? Absolutely. Yes, let's do it. So I read a book. Um, I'm terrible for this. People are always recommending me books and I typically, I don't read a book unless I've heard it a number of times. Um, so someone shared a book with me called The Three Hag Way. Um, it's a three-year highly achievable goal. So the, the lady who wrote this, she built and sold multiple companies uh, in the tech space. One was like ranked the top middle market deal in, in New York um, years ago when she sold that company. And what she did was she read a bunch of business books and like you read a book and it's like, oh, this is really good. And you take it to your work and you start running it. And you read the next book. Oh, this is really good too. Well, all these books kind of just like get mashed together. And so she put a system together, an execution system that like spoon feeds you how to define your, your vision and values and communicate it effectively and find out like looking at the competitive landscape and how to be unique and how to set your company up for success and put this three-year highly achievable goal together. Cause like you can have your vision. Like some people are, are good at having this really big vision and they're good at hustling and doing all the tactical. It's the execution and connecting the two. And so she breaks it down into three years and then you break it down from quarter by quarter. And so I read this um, maybe a year and a half ago. It changed everything for me. I, it was actually, I was when COVID hit cause some, it was like the third person who told me to read this book. And actually one of my executives like bought it and mailed it to me and said, you must read this. I said, okay. I've read it like seven times now. Um, and I've shared it with other people who have read it. And then like I was flying to Chicago, uh, Ricky and I, so Ricky, for those who you don't know, he, he has a uh, uh, Rosalotto cleaning services in Chicago, great, huge growing company and in, in cleaning. And he also has route um, for bidding software. And uh, so I was flying to Chicago because Ricky and I were co-hosting an event and um, someone texted me, I'm on the plane, like, I just read this book. Oh my goodness. It's changed my life. I'm going to read it again now and like have a pencil. I'm going to go through everything, but it just spoon feeds you how to connect your vision with what your, what your team is doing and what they're doing. So they understand why, because like, it's like the whole thing. People say like, you know, work smarter, not harder. Well, sure. But how do I do that? Like, there's all these like little business sayings. It's like, I fundamentally agree with you, but I don't know how to do it. This book spoon feeds you on how to pull all this together. And I have people on my team that have just been like, 
I've been here for years with you. I understand today better than I ever have what we're doing and why and what I can do to make an impact. Um, and it's 100% that book. That's awesome. So me and Chad always love a good book recommendation. And we have had a couple you know, that we've read that we feel like have made tremendous differences kind of our business journey. So, uh, man, I can't, can't wait to read that book. Michael, tell me again, what the name of the title of the book is what? It's called The Three Hag Way. And Hag st- stands for Highly Achievable Goal? Yep. The Three Hag Way. All right, so y'all check it out. So, Michael, I appreciate that, man. That's awesome. So three specific tips. Me and Chad were talking about this too, Michael, previously, that I'm like more of the like inspiration guy. I get excited about ideas. He's like, man, I like actionable takeaways. And so in your episode, as we're talking here, you gave us three, you've given us three really specific takeaways. Number one, which is somebody could do it in the next 30 seconds is they could buy that book, yep. order it on Amazon, have it shipped to them. They can get it on Kindle read yep. it now. They can put it on audible maybe and start listening to it. Um, set up some interviews for coaches. So not, not saying you should hire a coach yet. Maybe you shouldn't, maybe you should, but yeah, check it out. You can get a couple of free coaching calls, right? Complimentary coaching calls, at least to figure out if it's something you want right now. And then to identify what are the right areas, what are the, you know, the the right areas in your company for you to hustle in, focus on, to move the needle in. So, man, thank you so much uh, for those ideas. And block and that time. Block that block time. When time. you figure out what yes. it is, block that time. Put That's it in me. your calendar so that people don't get in your calendar because, oh, like you'll go to look for a block and there's never a good time. Put it in and have it repeating forever. Love it. Great advice. And Sue, man, you said this too earlier, but it's creating the space. As you're talking about creating the space for the ideas and talking, you know, people say, oh, in the shower, I had this idea. I recognized last year, I haven't been as good at this the last couple of months, but I was, our, our company was growing like crazy. And I think some of it was that I had specific time or I was, I was running. So I just running a lot. And, you know, when you did, while Chad could do it, he can run and send email. I cannot. So I would just be listening to a podcast or just along with my thoughts and be able to come up with some pretty great ideas for our company that we were able to implement. So I got to get back to that. So I appreciate you bringing that up too. So Chad, any final questions for Mr. Michael Brown? Man, this has been awesome. I'm excited to dive into a different meeting system for my team. Excited to buy the book today. This has been extremely valuable for our listeners, for us, man, you're awesome. And and hey, if, if you can if you can bring this much content excitement from a sauna, imagine what you can do from an office. My God, I don't even know what we're in store for next. Yeah, I was about to say, but, but it's got a stage hey. somewhere. Well, I, won't, uh, I won't lie. It is actually getting hot in here. It must be that I'm sitting in here and I'm like excited because it's not on, but I'm actually getting warm. So it's oh, you're, clearly you're, well you're insulated. Bring, you're bringing the fire, dude. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm hot in here and I got air conditioning. But no, it's been so much fun, man. Thank you for joining us. We are love to see all you're doing and everything you're going and want to connect again in the future and 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 just continue to follow each other and share stories and have you back on the podcast soon. Absolutely. It's awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. If you're a fan of the Entrepreneur Adventure podcast, we would love to hear about it. You can leave us a review right here on your favorite podcast app. You can subscribe to the podcast or you can find us on Instagram at The Entrepreneur Adventure. Until next time, thank you for joining us.